Well, it's good to have Pastor John and Kelly back home, isn't it? It's really good. It's really good. I was telling them earlier that they're coming home to a very healthy congregation. And the reason I know this is because you know, one of the, one of the uh, questions that I was asked a lot uh, over these last three months was, you know, uh, how I'm doing with, with running the church and, you know, how is the staff doing with running the church? And I got to tell you, I wasn't running the church. You all were. You all volunteer. Uh, you do our ministries. Uh, we've gone outside the walls of this church uh, during the last three months. We've done a lot together. And it's you guys who make all of this happen. And so it has been one of the greatest privileges and honors of my life to be able uh, to stand with you in our ministry and to do the work of, of, uh, uh, that, that God has called us to do, uh, to spread the gospel uh, both within these walls and outside of them as well. Uh, it's been uh, a, an incredible privilege to walk with some of you through some difficult times uh, and to see where God is in the midst of those things and what God is doing in and through you. Uh, it, it has been an absolute joy for me uh, to stand here every Sunday or most Sundays and, and meditate on the Word of God with you. I, I would, there's not any other place I'd rather be than here with you all. And so, Pastor John, welcome home. Uh, we're, you're in a healthy fellowship and we're glad to have you back among us, and we're looking forward to what God is going to do from here on out. So with that, let's grab our swords of the Spirit. One more time, uh, we're in Psalm 150 today. Psalm 150, this not only closes book five of the Psalter, but it also brings the whole book of Psalms to an end, and book five uh, as you, you might recall, celebrates the exaltation of God's anointed king. It's a very celebratory book. Uh, and that king, of course, is who we know to be our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And so as book five closes, Psalm 150 kind of takes on a double duty to, to close the whole Psalter. And that's because it's a part of a benediction that begins with Psalm 146. And it runs all the way through Psalm 150. Each of these Five Psalms begins and ends with the words, praise the Lord, or hallelujah in Hebrew. That's a familiar term to us, hallelujah. It's a common word for us even in English. And we're going to see that really it ought not to be a trivial thing to say, even though it's a common thing that we say. And so these five closing psalms are there, full of joy and celebration. This is a, a euphoric reverence for the God who saves. And so Psalm 150 is this loud crescendo of praise for our great and mighty God. And so let's read it together. This song of celebration of the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with trumpet sound. Praise Him with lute and harp. Praise Him with tambourine and dance. Praise Him with strings and pipe. Praise Him with sounding cymbals. Praise Him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen, right? That's the word of the Lord. 
And so today we're going to celebrate a little bit, and we're going to come to understand why we celebrate. Today we we come to the end of a three-month journey that we've taken together uh, through the Psalms. This isn't going to be the last time we we revisit the Psalter, but with Pastor John being home now, it's time for us to move on to a new series. But we're going to be sprinkling some Psalms in uh, here and there throughout uh, the coming year. And in fact, very soon, I hope that we're going to hear from you, David Augren, uh, on the powerful message that, that God has given him in Psalm 22. But today is the 14th Psalm that we've meditated on together. Isn't that something? Uh, we've, we've been meditating uh, on these psalms in our series called Infinite Glory, Intimate Grace. And uh, three of our Apollos graduates, uh, the Catechizer, John Sellers, and Bill Schwetke, and last week, uh, Fred Reed, they've each meditated on one psalm each. And in the meantime, I've been uh, meditating on the first and last psalm of each of the uh, five books of, of the psalms. And so today, uh, we're going to be ending with this loud Psalm 150, this song of praise uh, to our Lord. And praise is absolutely a fitting way to end what was originally called the Book of Praises in Hebrew, Telehim, Book of Praises. You see, along the way uh, through the Psalter, we've come to understand on a much deeper level why God is worthy of the praise that we see in Psalm 150. Among other things, we've seen how God is faithful even when we sin. We've seen how He keeps His promises. And we've seen how majestic and great God really is. I don't know about you, but my, my faith has been greatly strengthened as we've as we've uh, contemplated these things together, as I have received the reassurance of God's faithfulness from the Psalms, as I have received the blessing of His truth, and also, of course, the hope of His eternal steadfast love that we've talked so much about. And so I think it'd be helpful for us just to, just to listen to the big ideas of each of the Psalms that we've been through together. Let's go backwards through them, beginning uh, with the end and go all the way back to the first psalm. And, and let's do this, keeping these words of praise of Psalm 150 just ringing in our ears. Praise the Lord. Praise Him. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Last week we heard from Fred Reed, and he showed us Psalm 119 and how God blesses us when we're obedient to His Word and how we can have purity when we know God's Word. In Psalm 107, we learn that God is able to deliver us from our distress because of His steadfast love, which He has proved to us in Jesus Christ. Psalm 106, we saw that God is faithful even when we're not. And so that means in spite of whatever your sin is, in spite of whatever you've done, if you put your faith and and trust in Jesus Christ, God is faithful to you. And so we ought to humbly confess our sins to God so we can be truly faithful. We only really come to appreciate the grace of God when we see His grace in light of our sins and see uh, our sins in light of His grace as well. That's when we become truly thankful. And then before that, we we meditated on Psalm 91, John Sellers Uh, showed us that when we find ourselves standing at the cusp of any of life's final frontiers, we ought to put, put our trust in the one who loves us even more than we love ourselves. And why? Because God is trustworthy. 
He is worthy to be trusted with our lives. And then in Psalm 90, we learn that it's not a matter of how long we live on this earth that matters. It's a matter of who we live for. What matters is who we live for. And we need God's mercy and wisdom to teach us to number our days so that so that we'll have the wisdom to live for Him. That's why He created us, is to live for Him, to bring Him glory. In Psalm 89, we found that we've got to learn to trust God to keep His promises and to answer our prayers in the way that He wants to. We've got to trust Him to answer our prayers and to to keep His promises the way He wants to. And we don't get to tell Him how to do it, but we ought to trust Him to do it well and to do it rightly. You see, his eternal steadfast love and faithfulness encourage us even in our darkest times because that's what trust does for us. It helps us, encourages us, and gives us more faith because God is trustworthy. And then in Psalm 73, we found that sometimes it's, it is really hard not to be envious of the prosperity of the wicked. We look around this world and we see wicked people prospering more than we are. And that's, that's kind of hard to take until we realize that there's absolutely nothing on this earth that compares to the worth of knowing our God forever and ever and ever and ever. And then in Psalm 72, we saw that our faith in Christ is not just based on what he's already done, but it's also based on what he's going to do. Namely, the sure promise that Christ is going to come again and he's going to begin his eternal reign as the King of Kings. Christ will come again. And then we looked at Psalm 42 and 43 together because originally they were the same song. And we saw that no matter how hard life might be for us today, God is going to vindicate our persevering hope in Him. And then Bill Schwetke showed us the the powerful prayer of confession and repentance of King David in Psalm 51. And we saw that, that our sin really does stand between us and a holy God. And without God's help, There's nothing we can do about that gulf between us and him. But praise be to God. He sent his son who came and lived a perfect life and he died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins and he rose again to give us eternal hope and an eternal life with our God. And then in Psalm 41, we learn that God delights in people who demonstrate mercy like his and so he delivers such people from trouble. If we are merciful like God is, God's going to deliver us. And then we looked at Psalm 1 and 2 because they are the introduction to the whole Psalter. And we learned from them, and first in Psalm 2, uh, we learned that submitting to God's anointed king is wise because he's going to rule the world. When we submit to the king, we're we're committing ourselves to the winning side. God is going to reign forever. And there is enormous blessing in submitting to God because He holds our eternal safety as well as our well-being in this life. He holds us securely in His hands. He's never going to leave us. He's never going to let go of us. He's never going to lose us if we belong to Him. And then finally, in Psalm 1, we saw that contrast between the godly and the ungodly. 
And we saw that the way of the wicked leads to life and salvation. Or, excuse me, the way of the righteous leads to life and salvation, but the way of the wicked leads to judgment and death. This isn't just a matter of morality alone. This has to do with whether we believe that God has the right to determine what's righteous. It has to do with whether we believe that God has the right to judge you and me according to that righteousness. And so that's where we've been. And today in Psalm 150, uh, it's going to affirm in no uncertain terms that every single thing that we've learned so far in the Psalms uh, about how the great God we've been learning about is faithful and true. Uh, Psalm 150 is going to confirm all of that for us. And so Psalm 150 leads us in worship, leads us to praise the Lord because He's God, because He's the Most High God. And so as we turn to this powerful expression of praise for our great God, there's just really two things that we need to remember from this short psalm. They're simple things, but they've really got the potential to fundamentally change the way we think about worshiping God. The first truth is is the big idea that the psalmist wants us to understand. Here's his premise. He, He wants us to understand that our worship of God should be expressed in proportion to his greatness. Now, that's a tall order. There's no way in the world we can do that. It's an impossible thing to do. But thanks be to God, we've got eternity to keep on trying, right? And the second truth is is our take-home lesson. This is the application for our own lives. It's very simple, but it's a profound truth. And that is praise comes from our hearts. Praise comes from the heart. And so let's dig in. Let's let's take a look at these two points. Our worship of God should be expressed in proportion to his greatness, and praise comes from the heart. Psalm 150 begins with identifying who it is we praise, and it's verse 1 is abundantly clear about that. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. The word for praise the Lord in Hebrew is that very familiar word to us. Hallelujah. It's the first word of Psalm 150, and it's the last word. In fact, it's the first and last word of of all all of the benediction psalms, Psalms 146 through 150. Each of these last five psalms begins and ends with hallelujah. So it's hallelujah at the beginning, and hallelujah at the end, and a whole lot of praise in between. Halal in Hebrew means praise, and yah means is a shortened form of Yahweh. And you may know that Yahweh is God's special name. This is a name that that is to be cherished and handled carefully. It's a name that he calls himself by. And that's why we want to revere this name in, in every way that we can. And we remember the commandment that says we must not take God's name in vain, the Lord's name in vain. We must not take Yahweh's name in vain is how the commandment goes. And so in Exodus 6, we see a little bit of this. God is revealing himself to his people and calling himself by this very special and sacred name of Yahweh. And so beginning in verse 6, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, I am Yahweh, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. You see, God is making promises, isn't he? Yahweh is making promises to his people that he's going to keep. 
And then he says, You shall know that I am the Lord, Yahweh, your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. And this is who we've been celebrating as we've been taking this trip through the Psalms. Yahweh, I am the Lord. I am the Lord who reveals himself. I am the Lord who makes promises. I am the Lord who keeps my promises even when you rebel against me. Isn't that part of what we learned from Psalm 106 in verses 44 and 45? Nevertheless, he, God, looked upon their distress when he heard their cry. People are sinning, but he, he looks upon their distress. And what does he do next? For their sake, he remembered his covenant. He remembered his covenant and relented according to the abundance of his steadfast love. God is faithful to himself. Yahweh is faithful and he's true and he never lies. And so Psalm 150 calls us to praise. It doesn't call us just to praise one time. This isn't a sort of throwaway line in the psalm. No, it, it calls us to praise 13 times in just six verses. Hallelujah, praise Yahweh, that happens three times. And then there's simply uh, praise God. In part of verse 1, uh, there the Hebrew word for God is El. This is a more common word for God or for a deity. And so it's praise God, but he's already been identified as Yahweh. So we know exactly who the psalm is talking about. And then it's just praise him, praise him, praise him, praise him. Halal, halal, halal. Praise God, praise the Lord, over and over and over again. And this is unconditional praise. This is praise just because God is God and we're not. And He deserves praise. This kind of praise doesn't depend on how hard life might be for us right now. It doesn't depend on whether we feel like praising Him right now. It doesn't depend on, on our trials or our circumstances. God doesn't stop being God because we're having a hard time. In fact, when we're having a hard time, that's the moment we can turn to our great God and know that He is God and that He never changes and that He is faithful and that He's never going to leave us. That's the reassurance we need, isn't it? And so this is the, the praise of Psalm 150 is the kind of praise that trusts God to answer our prayers in the way that He wants to because He's going to answer them the right way. This is the kind of praise and rejoicing that comes even in the midst of our trials. Richard read a few minutes ago from 1 Peter chapter 1. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There is a time to say hallelujah, isn't it? And so the, the praise of Psalm 150 is all about God because God is truly magnificent. We really don't need any other reason to praise Him, right? Yet because of His holiness, He gives us even more reasons to praise Him. We could just praise Him for His holiness alone, but because of His holiness, He's also a God who acts on behalf of His own. And so our praise is just increased. This is what verse 2 is about. Verse 2 says, praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. 
And so as we've seen uh, in our journey through the Psalms, uh, we've, we've seen that God saves us. He delivers us from trouble. He vindicates our hope in Him. He blesses our obedience to His Word. He protects us from our enemies. He, he proves His steadfast, loyal love for us in Jesus Christ. And so not only do we praise God simply because of His holy character and nature, but we also praise God because of what He's done for us because of His holy character and nature. The things that God does for us spring forth because of His holiness. It gives us all the more reason to praise Him. And that's exactly why we say hallelujah, praise the Lord, right? But I think it's really important for us to dwell on hallelujah for a few minutes. To really think about what this means. It's a word that is a familiar one in almost every language. Almost every language has adopted this idea of hallelujah. But because it's so common, we all do this, we, we have a habit of kind of throwing it around kind of casually. I mean... It's kind of become synonymous with zippity-doo-dah, zippity-ay, and yippee, right? I mean, how many times have you and I uh, said some things like this without really meaning to praise the Lord? This is something I said a lot in college. Woo, got that paper done. Hallelujah. I wasn't praising God at all. I was just glad I was done with the paper. Well, hallelujah, it stopped raining. Now I can get out there and do that yard work I've been meaning to get to. But you know, sometimes it's not just the hallelujah part that we, we use casually. Sometimes we use the English counterpart, counterpart that way. If you're an Astros fan this week, maybe you said something like, yes, the Astros finally won the World Series. Praise the Lord. Maybe you really meant to praise the Lord if you said that. But if you didn't, when we say that without really meaning it, don't we lose sight of the reverence and honor that God deserves? Doesn't it kind of smack of using the Lord's name in vain, even? I mean, we've got to be careful not to trivialize our praise of God because when we do, we actually trivialize God. You know, a song that we've been hearing a lot of lately uh, is, is one that we're going to hear a lot more of, and it's written by a man named Leonard Cohen. It's become very, very popular. It's one that's been covered by Christian artists. It's got a beautiful melody. I, I like the, the tune and the song and the musicianship of it. Uh, the, the lyrics of the song are, are kind of spellbinding, and, but they're also beguiling because they seem to be talking about the Bible. They seem to be biblical words, and so it's easy for us to get the wrong impression. Here's how the song starts. You may have heard this. Well, I heard there was a secret chord that David played, and it pleased the Lord, but you don't really care for music, do you? Well, it goes like this, the fourth, the fifth, the minor fall, and the major lift, the baffled king composing hallelujah. That's some really interesting poetry, isn't it? But hallelujah, you see, is not only the title of the song, but it's also the refrain. In the song, you hear hallelujah, 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 over and over and over again. And so I think it's perfect timing that we're meditating on Psalm 150 today. 
Because with Christmas coming, we're going to start hearing hallelujahs a lot more. Very soon, we're going to hear this song mixed in with a thousand renditions and repetitions of Hark the Herald Angels Sing and Oh Holy Night, and ironically, possibly even side by side with Handel's Messiah. Now, Handel knew exactly what hallelujah meant, and he meant to praise the Lord with it. But I don't think Leonard Cohen knew what it meant. In fact, we'll see by his own words that he didn't. And I say these things not to disparage the man. I say it with a grieving heart because I don't think that he knew the Lord before he died. And it's, but it's important for us to, to meditate on this for a few minutes so that, we can, so that we can understand the difference between what Cohen in the world means, hallelujah, and what Psalm 150 means. Because we don't want to appropriate the world's version of hallelujah. We want to stick with Psalm 150's version, right? You see, hallelujah did not mean praise the Lord to Cohen. Uh, this song is a song that the Guardian newspaper declares is a perfect secular hymn. And they're exactly right. Because the words of the song are, are not godly. We'll just leave it at that. But this is a song that the meaning of it is, is unclear. In fact, it's kind of like a, a, a chameleon. It's got shades of meaning that shift according to which ear is listening to the song. And so as Christians, we hear the word hallelujah and a mention of King David. And so we might hope that even though the point of the song is murky, that somehow, somehow it's a Christian song. But here's what Cohen uh, wrote in his original version of the song in 1984. This is one of the lines in the song. He said, you say I took the name in vain. I don't even know the name. Okay, so clearly Cohen is not writing this song as a believer. The refrain of hallelujah takes on a completely different meaning to Cohen. And here's what he had to say about it, about this word hallelujah. And contrast this with Psalm 150. Psalm 150 is very clear what hallelujah means. It means praise the Lord. It doesn't mean anything else. Praise the Lord. But here's Cullen's explanation for it. And if you can figure out what he's talking about, I'll give you a quarter. Because I'm not really sure what he means by this. He says, The world is full of conflicts and full of things that cannot be reconciled, but there are moments when we can transcend and reconcile and embrace the whole mess. And that's what I mean by hallelujah. That regardless of what the impossibility of the situation is, there is a moment when you open your mouth and you throw open your arms and you embrace the thing and you just say, Hallelujah, blessed is the name. He doesn't tell us who the name belongs to. And then in a biography about Cohen that's quoted in Rolling Stone magazine, he said, I wanted to push the hallelujah deep into the secular world, into the ordinary world. I wanted to indicate that hallelujah can come out of things that have nothing to do with religion. In other words, what Cohen and the world wants to do, because they don't know God, what they want to do with this wonderful word is rip it from its moorings. 
People like Cohen want to separate it from its true meaning. They want to create a meaning of its own, a meaning that, that can mean one thing for one person and hallelujah can mean something else for somebody else. They want to separate it from Yahweh. They don't want it to mean praise the Lord, the Most High God, the one who saves. For Cohen, hallelujah was just a nod to a vague unknown name. Isn't that sad? Isn't that just incredibly sad? So we go back to Psalm 150. And it's important important for us that we're clear about what we mean by hallelujah, not just for the sake of unbelievers, but also to ensure that we're clear about it in our own hearts. You see, being unclear about our praise is just like how with thanksgiving coming up, we've got to remember that as believers we are giving thanks to the God who provides. And that's very unlike the world for whom thanksgiving without God can only mean feeling lucky for having stuff and for having food and family. They have no one to direct their thanksgiving to, but we do. And so we need to pause and consider that praise for the Lord goes a whole lot deeper than just singing loudly as we clap our hands and sing, He's made me glad, right? We as believers know God's name and we know what He's done for us. And so we should never speak of praising God without really meaning to praise Him. We should never praise God casually. And that's because God didn't do casual things for us. Dying on the cross wasn't a casual thing. So we should never do that. We should never praise God in a way that indicates he has done casual things for us. We should never say a hallelujah unless we really are praising the Lord. Now this doesn't mean that it's not okay to praise God for small things. Of course we should praise him for small things. God cares about the small things in our lives as much as he does for the big things. And he also knows that he provides every small blessing as well as the large ones. So it is absolutely right to praise him for all things, right? But we should mean it when we praise him. Psalm 147 says, Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant, and a song of praise is fitting. So even though the thing that we praise God for in the moment might be really small compared to the big scheme of things, praising God should never be trivial for us. Praising God should come from our lips because there's real praise in our hearts. Praise, you see, is a declaration. It's a declaration of the goodness of God and what he's done. And so let's take a look at these five benediction songs at the end of the Psalter. Let's see how they list the things that God has done as reasons we should praise God. Psalm 146, beginning in verse 7, says, The Lord, that is Yahweh, sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. So God, it brings blessing to those who belong to him. 
but he's also a God of justice. But notice how many times it says that the Lord does, the Lord sets, the Lord opens, the Lord lifts up, the Lord watches over sojourners. Then in Psalm 147, beginning in verse 2, the Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. And that's kind of like what he's doing with the church right now, isn't it? Our Lord Jesus Christ is gathering his church. And he'll keep gathering his church made up of sinners like you and me. He'll keep gathering his church until the day he comes again in glory. And then in verse 3, we see how he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Isn't that what Christ has done for you and me when he saved us? When we bowed before him that first time and realized his grace and our lives became his. In verse 4, he determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. So God creates the whole universe, and he even names the stars. That's how big and great God is. And so even those stars and the sun and the moon should praise God in Psalm 148. Listen to this. Let them, the stars and the moon, uh, praise the, or the sun and the moon, let them praise the name of the Lord. For he commanded and they were created and he established them forever and ever. He gave a decree and it shall not pass away. And then finally in Psalm 149, there's another reason we should praise God. And it's because he adorns the humble with salvation. He has adorned you and me with his righteousness. He has clothed us in his righteousness. He saved us. So that's why Psalm 150 is this big crescendo of music. (laughs) Because look at what the Lord has done. Look at what God has done. And so let's celebrate. Let's sing and dance and play and, 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 and play loud clashing cymbals. There's no more appropriate response to what God has done than to laugh and to smile and to sing and to clap and just make a whole lot of racket, even if it's out of key, right? Because God adorns the humble with salvation. He he gives us an eternal relationship with Him. God established all of creation in all of its beauty and fruitfulness. He sets the prisoner free. Of course we should praise Him, right? Shouldn't we? The God who's done all of that deserves praise that's in proportion to His greatness. Our praise of God should be in proportion to His greatness. Psalm 147, verse 5 says, Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. So why in the world would we want to praise God casually or half-heartedly? Praise for such a great God shouldn't be anything like a pat on the back. Praising God isn't, isn't like, hey God, good job. Like how you did that. Hallelujah isn't rooting for you, God. Keep up the good work. You got my support. Thumbs up. Looking good. You know, one of our sons, he's a really good pitcher when he played in high school. And one night, one night he pitched the game of his life. I mean, it was an amazing game. And he did an incredible job. Can you imagine if I went up to him after the game said, hey, son, yeah, it was a good game. I enjoyed that. 
But you know, I got to go now. I got some stuff I got to do. See you later. Can you imagine that? But isn't that what we kind of do with God sometimes? We sing words of praise, but we really don't have a heart of praise. We're kind of checking our watches to see if we can get home in time to catch up on that yard work or catch the game or whatever it is. I think we have a tendency to blame our attitude about worship sometimes, about our praises of God. Uh, We tend to blame external reasons, like, hey, you know, the worship just doesn't get my worship on. There's a Christian song right now that uses that phrase, drives me nuts. You know, if somebody will just put me in the mood to praise, then I'm going to clap my hands and then I'll feel worshipful. But it's up to them to get me to feel that way. But you know, we need to remember that the songs don't praise God. You and I praise God. If we're depending on the songs to get us in the mood to worship, then I just beg you to pay attention to Psalm 150 because it says that we worship and we praise God because He's great, not because the music is great. Worship does not come from singing. Singing comes from the fact that we worship God every other day of the week. We worship God on Monday with our determination to obey His Word. We worship God on Tuesday when we resist temptation by relying on the Word of God. We worship God on Wednesday when we tell the truth because God is truth. We worship God on Thursday when we teach our children the gospel and then we demonstrate it for them. We worship God on Friday when we honor our parents even when we disagree with them. We worship God on Saturday when we choose to love our wives as Christ has loved His church. And so on it goes. Worship is devotion to God all the time. All the time. And so as we see the blessings and miracles happen in our lives, these blessings and miracles that come from God as we witness firsthand the greatness of God in our lives as He transforms us, as we learn by experience to trust Him not only with today but also tomorrow. That's when our hearts become full of this irresistible desire to praise Him and even to praise Him out loud and sometimes even loudly. Psalm 147.7 says, Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make melody to our God on the lyre. This kind of, the kind of worship that God accepts does not depend on a worship band to get you in the mood. The kind of worship that God accepts is from a heart that's been changed by Him, a soul that bows down to Him gratefully. True worship means that we have been moved by God Himself. And it looks something like this, verse 11 of Psalm 147. But the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him and in those who hope in his steadfast love. And so, brothers and sisters, worship or music does not produce worship. Music does not produce worship. It is our worship, our praises of Yahweh that makes the music. Music is the language that God has given us by His grace to be able to express our love for Him and to praise Him and to adore Him and to bow down to Him, remember Him, and to give honor to Him. I love the way a Scottish pastor in the early 1800s put it. He said this, But let none forget that it is the music of a renewed heart alone 
which God will accept. And so we praise God when our hearts are fully engaged by the great and mighty God. That's the kind of worship that God is looking for. And that's when we produce the sounds of the trumpet and the lute and the harp and the electric guitar and the ukulele and the tambourine and the drums and the strings and the pipe and the keyboard and loud clashing cymbals. And that's when we dance for joy even. And that's when God hears our voices raised together in a heartfelt, thankful, devoted time of worship. So with all that in mind, let's just go back through what we've learned from the Psalms, from some of them that we've meditated on over these three months. Let's see why we praise God. Let's apply the praise of Psalm 150 to those lessons. We learned in Psalm number one that God is the God who determines what righteousness is, and he blesses us when we delight in his word. And all God's people say, hallelujah. All right, God holds our eternal safety securely in his hands, and God people say, hallelujah. God has indeed conquered our sin through Jesus Christ, hallelujah. God will vindicate our hope when Christ comes again, and he's going to reign forever and ever and ever, hallelujah. Nothing compares to knowing God, nothing Because God is faithful and he keeps his promises. And we've got this awesome, amazing privilege of living every day for his glory. Hallelujah. God is, he's trustworthy and he's faithful even when we're not. Hallelujah. God proved his steadfast love for us in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And God blesses us when we live in obedience to his word. Hallelujah. You see, that's, that's the way to praise God. That's what hallelujah means. It means praise the Lord. And so bring on the trumpets. Bring on the lutes and the harps and the tambourines. This is something to sing about. This is something to shout about. This is something to celebrate. Shouldn't we be just excited to get here on Sunday morning so we can worship God together? Look at what he's done. Is there any way in the world we could ever exaggerate the praise of Yahweh? Is there any way in the world that we could exalt God too much? I don't think there is. There's a minister and theologian, American minister and theologian in the 1800s named William S. Plummer. And he asserts that there is no way in the world that we can overstate our praise of God. Here's what he says. The righteous set no bounds to their praise of the Most High. There is no danger that any creature will speak of God in terms too exalted. But rather than in our highest services, we will fall below the glory of the theme. God's perfections are infinite and we should not seek to limit our expressions of gratitude and adoration. You know, not only is it impossible to praise God too much, there's, there's also no way we can praise him enough. There's just no way. Such a great God deserves our heartfelt praise. When we praise God, we should mean it. And we should praise him by name. We're called to praise the Lord.
You know, on one level, Leonard Cohen was right. Our praise should have nothing to do with mere religion because religion doesn't inspire our praise. But I'll tell you what, our great God does inspire praise, doesn't he? A true hallelujah can only come from a heart that's been washed clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. And our praise cannot come out of anything except our recognition of the truth. And that is the holiness and greatness of God and the things that he has done for us through our Savior, Jesus Christ. Richard read from 1 Peter just a little while ago. I want to revisit that again. I think Peter uh, sums up the reason for our praise and joy best in this passage beginning in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. That does call for some singing, doesn't it? That calls for some music. And it calls for our praise to be explicit and specific because we don't praise some vague godlike entity we cannot know. We praise Yahweh, the living God, the Most High God, who by His grace has revealed Himself to us. And He's also, he's also made promises to us, and He's kept those promises. And so as we look back on the cross and the resurrection, we know exactly how he's kept them. And so having a living hope, as Peter put it, having a living hope, we also look forward and we praise the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, knowing that our hope is going to be vindicated when Christ comes again to reign forever. Hallelujah. We call this series Infinite Glory, Intimate Grace, and I hope by now you're beginning to see why. I hope you've got a better idea of how great the glory of our God is and how astonishing it is that our God has proven his steadfast love for us, how remarkable it is that such a holy God would demonstrate his grace to the likes of you and me. This is exactly why praising God is no small thing. And even though it's impossible to praise him enough or to praise him truly in proportion to his greatness, we should try. God wants us to. And we should praise him with our guitars. We should praise him with our drums and pianos and tambourines and trumpets and lyres and harps and pipes and all of those things and we should praise God with our voices but let us always remember that it is our renewed hearts that make the real music. Amen? Let's pray and then we'll go to the Lord's table. Holy and gracious God, we thank you for your infinite glory and intimate grace. We thank you, Lord, for the way that you have revealed your glory to us, that you've given us 
a glimpse that will grow and grow and grow with each passing day as we seek you into a bigger and bigger picture of how magnificent you are. And we thank you, Lord, that even with all of your greatness, that you've cared for us, that you know us each by name, that you know the hairs on our heads, you know all of our cares and our sorrows, and you have given us the greatest reason of all to have joy, even in the midst of this life. The joy that comes from the living hope of knowing you and having been saved by your Son. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.